Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Let's praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Word of God. We have uh, done our study of the Old Testament, which we completed. And uh, today we want to start on the New Testament. And uh, it's going to be an interesting study. And uh, thank you for always uh, being part of us and uh, joining us in this endeavor of studying the Word of God. Remember, we say, is no limitation to revelation. God will reveal his word to every single body who shows the need. If you want God to speak to you, he will come out and did he will speak to you. So today we want to start on the New Testament. And we'll start, of course, with a book that starts uh, this is the book of Matthew. And uh, Matthew starts by saying, chapter 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It starts by clearly letting us know what this is all about. Yeah? And it is about Jesus. He's the one that they are talking about here. He's the center of focus. And he's being called the Messiah here. There are people, by the way, who are still waiting for another Messiah. And uh, they are saying he has not come yet. And this happens for the Jews because some still expect that there is a Messiah to come. But from the record here that is being given to us, Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. He died for us. And uh, we are not waiting for anybody new. No. Jesus has come. And we are told he is the son of David. Of course, this may not necessarily imply that David the king, the former king of Israel is the one who gave birth to him. Or Abraham, who is also being referenced to here, that is the one who gave birth to him. No, it's practically giving you a picture of where he comes from. Because uh, when when you're reading uh, and they're giving genealogy, one as a great-great-grandfather is also regarded as a father of one. So uh, he's mentioned here as a son of David, as a son of Abraham. And uh, this, uh, when we get into genealogies and how we study them, this being named here, when you get in history and the earlier books and you're looking at genealogies, how they are brought about, for example, in the book uh, of, of Genesis, the genealogies that are given, they are named for the first person that has been cited in them, but uh, when you come here in the book of Matthew, this genealogy is named for the person in whom it climaxes, who is Jesus. Yeah. So for Matthew, the ancestors of Jesus depend on him to get any relevance, any historical significance. Uh, they will have to depend on him as Jesus. Uh, it's not like the others where it's the descendants who will depend on their ancestors to gain relevance here. Jesus is the one who gives relevance to 
all the others that he has come uh, from. Yeah, he gives relevance to to David. He gives relevance to Abraham. He gives relevance to all that we are going to read that are in this genealogy. If it was not for Jesus, they would not be mentioned here. So Jesus in this genealogy is special as it comes. He is brought out. The one that climaxes this genealogy is the one that is brought out first to mention all the rest that have come before him because he gives them relevance. When you have Jesus, you have relevance. When you have Jesus in in your life, then you get meaning. There are many people who could have been mentioned here. But when we see this that we're going to read from verse 2, it's because of Jesus that they are known. It's because of Jesus that we have mention of them. It is because of Jesus that you shall be known. It is because of Jesus that we shall be known, that we shall be spoken of. Because it is key for us to know that he's the beginning of all things. He's the end. Yeah. So when I have him, I have everything. When I have him, my life has meaning. When I have him, there's that significance that I carry. So verse to Abraham, of course we get into now this genealogy, was the father of Isaac that we know, we've read. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You remember that story, yeah? Uh, Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Yeah, you remember that story of Rahab? Uh, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. You remember the story of Ruth as well? We handled in the Old Testament study. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Yeah? And Jesse was the father of David, the king. Here, it's brought out to us. Yeah? David, the king. That's the same line. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. You remember that story of uh, uh, Uriah? David killing Uriah, taking Bathsheba's wife. That's how Solomon is born. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Yeah, now these are the kings that we looked at of Judah. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Yeah, you remember Jeconiah was the king at the time when they are sent into captivity. Josiah, his father, tried his best to make sure things get back in check in Judah, but it was too late. And when Jeconiah comes, it's time... For captivity, they are taken by Nebuchadnezzar. We looked at this when we were doing our study of the Old Testament. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shaltiel, and Shaltiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, 
Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eluid. Eluid was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. Now we get to the recent time. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So now we get to the time uh, that is being spoken of here. Yeah, we see Joseph being born. Joseph is the husband of Mary, and they have a child, Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, why are genealogies important? Because for genealogies, to the Jewish people, they reminded them of God's sovereignty. First of all, they remind them of his sovereignty in arrangement of marriages. That God will arrange all, bring forth the person that you, you we, we get this, we remember the case of Ruth. Yeah. We remember how things get arranged. Yeah. And God is in charge of them. His sovereignty in arranging such uh, meetings. Yeah. And uh, there are people even today. And it is a match from heaven. At you, and, and you're saying, I thank God for the wife that he gave me. I thank God for the husband he gave me. And that is an arrangement given to God. Now, for the Jewish people, these genealogies remind them of that sovereignty of God that he will arrange people to meet and be together. And secondly, they also remind them of God's ability and, uh, and pro- provision of uh, offspring. Yeah, Because if you're mentioning in a genealogy that this, this one is the father of this one, this one is the son of the other, yeah, you're showing how God has provided uh, offspring. Oh, God has been center in the provision of offspring, offspring for you, so that you carry on generations. Yeah, so genealogies were important to them as the Jews, firstly because they knew God has arranged this meeting between mom and dad, and also secondly that God has made sure that we have offspring, that our generations continue year after year. Yeah, that we keep on. Uh, getting more people in our family generation after generation. That is why genealogies are key to them. If they have a genealogy, then it's proof to them that God has been there for them and God has provided offspring to them. And they were essential as genealogies uh, to document someone's proper lineage. First, to them, because they were very staunch on this, that they are a pure Israelite. When you look at genealogy, they would uh, get into it and see this is a pure line of an Israelite, not those that have descended from those that have converted. Yeah, the Gentiles, remember, used to convert and become Jews at, uh, at given times. But now when they have the genealogy right out there, they know this is a pure line. Yeah, we don't have anybody who is not an Israelite, who is not a pure Israelite. Yeah, so we see them here. They are links between major figures in history. Genesis, uh, you will see links to Adam, it links Noah, it links Abraham in this way of genealogies. So it's key to them, they know how they have moved from the past. And uh, tradition records also that at least uh, some partial genealogical records that were important, especially when it came to families that were priestly, 
yeah all very high highly known families that uh, these genealogies these records of them would be kept in the temple they would get that genealogy and keep it in the temple because the temple was their most sacred place and although this temple was destroyed in AD 70 we looked at this while we were checking through the history of Israel in our past episodes if you've not uh, uh, been able to listen you can always find them and uh, we 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 looked at even if this temple got destroyed in AD 70 uh, the claim of Jesus the one that we're talking about here being of this line of David being a descendant of David yeah was mad before even AD 70 before this temple is destroyed so it can even be checked it could still be checked even if the temple had been destroyed this was evident enough. And even after AD 70, when the destruction of uh, the temple had happened, uh, reports also indicate that they used to still look for Jesus' relatives. Yeah, Because they said, we want those of the div- this line of David. And uh, this, were, this line still had the ability to provoke uh, trouble, to cause trouble. So, some of these relatives of Jesus, as the Roman government, had interest in them and wanted to take them out. So that is proof to you that this ge- genealogical record is not disputed in any form. Jesus is from David. Jesus is from that line of David. It springs straight up from Abraham to him. And uh, we will see in the ancient gene- genealogical records that women were usually taken out. Yeah, they were omitted. They were not included. But when it comes to Matthew here, he includes four women. This is a special record of uh, that we see here in Matthew when it comes to showing us the genealogy of Jesus. He includes four women, something that was not done in the past. Yeah? And uh, that is in verse 3. He includes in verse 5 to 6, and of these that have been included, three of these women are Gentiles. That's also special because in their history, in how they used to do their genealogy, they are ensuring that everything written in there shows a pure Israelite. But in this case, a special way that comes in Matthew mentions women, something that has not been done, but then doesn't stop there. He gets three of these who are Gentiles. And one of them is Tamar. Tamar is a Canaanite woman. That is uh, in the story of Genesis chapter 38 verse 6, if you can reference there, yeah, in your own study. Then Rahab also, in Jericho, you remember, is not an Israelite. Yeah, that one you can also reference in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then, of course, you have Ruth, who is a Moabite. We, we read that story, yeah? And uh, the other was at least associated with the Gentile, uh, who is uh, Bathsheba, that is in Second Samuel, chapter 11, verse 3, uh, Bathsheba. Remember, Bathsheba was married to uh, Uriah, who was a Hittite. Still, this is not a pure Israelite lineage that is being mentioned here. So you have these women that have been mentioned. Something against 
what they used to do, mentioning women in genealogies, but secondly, the fact that you have uh, Gentiles that have been mentioned here. Those others that we expect to be mentioned here, yeah, the likes of uh, Sarah, the likes of Rebecca, the likes of Leah, Rachel, they are omitted. They are not given any mention here, yet they are prominent in the history. So, here, when Matthew is writing, he's mostly hinting yeah, from the Old Testament that God has always planned a mission for all people. Because when he's bringing in Gentiles and mentioning them in this so great, important lineage, important a genealogy, yeah, he omits that which is known, that which is uh, key to them, that we have to have pure Israelite lineage here. But he brings in the Gentiles. And he's trying to tell you, like it, it, it would mention in Matthew 28, 19, that my plan is for all nations. My plan is for all people. Yeah. Yes, you as Jews, you might emphasize your pure ancestry, but I have interest in all the people of the world. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah are also 14 uh, generations. Now, of course, Matthew omits some of the names, and that is customary or something that you shall find in many genealogies. They can't keep mentioning every single person in the line. He will omit, but uh, this uh, there is a lot of discussion about this issue of 14, 14, 14, but you see that patterns of such nature were made for easy remembrance yeah, to them. So... Uh, there are some people or commentators of the Bible who have argued that Matthew uses the 14 generations because the numerical value of uh, 14 is representative of David's name in Hebrew letters, and that is 14. Yeah, that is what some will say. But it, it, it is something that was mostly done uh, naturally in rough sets of uh, 14 when they were doing genealogies, they could not mention everybody. That is also something to note. Verse 18, we get to another interesting part of this study. That is where we see Christ coming in, Christ being born. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. We are told, how is he born? When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This statement confuses very many people. It has caused a lot of debate. It brings a lot of argument even across uh, the lines and religions and belief systems. Yeah, How could that happen? But here we are told, his birth... He was betrothed to Joseph. We're going to look at what that betrothal meant and how it was done. And we are told before they came together, before Joseph and Mary came together, not coming, this coming together of, uh, of they've met. No, they mean before there was any uh, intercourse between these two, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This has never happened before. 
This is something that has never been done. This is unprecedented. This is something new. And this is, is, is something that we need to understand that God can do. Because when you're told that it's the child of the Holy Spirit, of course, right now, if somebody came and told you that, you would wonder where they've uh, originated from. But from uh, having such special moments or uh, events of birth, when you get into history still, they have been there. Sometimes there are people who are being mentioned even in the Old Testament of a special way that they have been born. Of course, Greek stories that are told, they sometimes talk of their gods impregnating women. And uh, the text here indicates specially, not like the Greek gods, but this one is clear and talks about Mary's conception that it was not sexual. Yeah, It's not like those Greek gods that are being mentioned out there. No, this one is not sexual. And uh, of course, we have not read anywhere in the Bible that there is uh, any ascribing of sexual characteristics to God. No, that does not exist. Yeah, And uh, for the Greek gods, they may ascribe that to their gods, but the God that we worship, the God that we know, that has not been ascribed in such a nature. There were so many miraculous birth stories in the ancient world. Uh, of course, there are some that are mentioned, some books that I've talked about here before, like the book of Enoch, which will have special uh, birth stories like the one that was given for Noah in that story of Enoch. And uh, there's a lot of imagery given there, children being born with light flowing, with uh, so much light uh, shining on them. We, If you've read the book of God's journals, there's one called uh, William Branham, who was also mentioned having been born uh, on the time, on the day that he was born, a great light shone into the room where he was. Yeah, that is in God's journals. But a special way to be born, like the one that here is being mentioned by the Holy Spirit, there are cases that are given even in ancient stories. But this one is special because this is Jesus we are talking about. Yeah, and um, it is an event that has never been precedented. Yeah, it's something special. Now, Joseph and Mary are betrothed. That is what we are told here. Betrothal, then in that time, was even more binding than most of the engagements that we have in the world today. Yeah, it was a process that was so strong and given high importance, even much more than some of the engagements and the ceremonies that we are carrying out in the world today. Now, if Joseph followed earlier tradition, uh, what was uh, being done then in their time, he would pay a bride price, yeah, and uh, that is at least some of it or a good part of it, it was offered during this betrothal. And betrothal normally would last a year, but it meant that the bride and the groom were officially pledged to one another. Though they had not consummated their marriage, we are pledged. Joseph will come, he'll bring part of the bride price that has been given, of course, after their uh, talks with, with, with the parents. And then they will not still stay together. They will still stay apart, but they are pledged to one another. So advances toward anyone else would be regarded as adulterous. 
if Joseph has completed this betrothal and Mary as well, they are not supposed to engage in any talks or flirtings or engagements or uh, relationships with anybody else because that would be considered adulterous. Adultery to them was not just um, the sexual part. No, don't engage in anything else with anybody else because at this time the betrothal is happening but they are not staying together. They have not had any sexual affairs that have happened to them. So anything, if you try to go out and find another, you are considered adulterous. And uh, in Deuteronomy 22, 23 to 27, there is a clear uh, uh, effect of that that is given there that it is stoning to death for man and woman who have committed adultery even during this betrothal period. So, if you have two witnesses, there is mutual consent and there is a declaration of uh, the groom yeah, and of course uh, the bride that is all they needed for this betrothal to happen. You have witnesses, you have mutual consent, yeah. the groom and the, the bride, the groom declares that they will do this, then it is done. yeah. That is all they needed. Of course, to us, it's different. In our cultures, it's different. During that time, for the Romans, it would be different because for the Romans, if you consented, that would be it. It is done. It would suffice. Yeah. For the Romans also, they would use these engagement rings that ah, I'm engaged to you, so I put a ring on your finger. For the Jews, they were not using rings at that time, but all uh, groups have something they do. Even for us today, you will put a ring on somebody's finger and say, now we are engaged. Yeah, Though for us, we may not take it as serious as these guys did. For them, anything else was considered adulterous like we've seen. Yeah, And uh, many of these uh, Jewish marriages. They would happen when these guys were young. Mary, of course, could have been between the ages of 12 and 14 during this betrothal. And if Joseph had not been married yet at that time, he might have been uh, between the age of 18 and 20 uh, because that is the age that uh, when you get into the documents of the rabbis, they would really recommend for men to marry between that time 18 to 20. Of course, at this day and age, people marry at all times, some at 30, 40, whichever time they feel ready. But to them, it was really emphasized that they marry young. The girls between the age of 12 and 14, then the boys between the age of 18 and 20. And it would be most likely that the parents would arrange such marriages, of course, for their children. And it had to have the, cons- the, to have, to have the consent of the children. Mary would have to consent. Joseph would have to consent. But as far as we know, Mary and Joseph were not together during this period. They were betrothed, but they were not staying staying together at this time. And that is what this scripture tells us here in verse 18, that they are betrothed, but they are not staying together. And it is at that time that it comes to be known that Mary is found a child and it is by the Holy Spirit and that's where we shall continue from tomorrow. Father we thank you for our study today we pray that you continue to show us more, reveal more to us and help us do according to your will. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus mighty name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the Word of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, BibleInDepth.com. 